Just not trusting your gut because there, there's no business class in business school at the Eisenberg School of Management at UMass that is gut trusting 101. And whether it's experience in business or you build up that gut muscle that allows you to feel confidence in what the decision you're about to make is. You'll still have some concern, but your gut's telling you something for some reason. I can't speak to why it's telling you that, but it is. And the more you trust your gut in business, the more success you're going to have. You have an instinct inside of that gut that you've got to trust. And that is going to be the game changer. That's going to be the small pieces, the small minute changes that make the difference between failure, success, and extreme success. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, Seven Hatters. In this episode, we speak with Matt Ward and dive deep into hats one, two, three, four, and seven, the soul, athlete, servant, entrepreneur, and seeker. As we open our mouth, actively listen, and give out those high fives on an incredible journey of triumph and self-discovery. Matt is a passionate speaker, author, and fellow accidental entrepreneur. But what struck me the most about our conversation is that Matt is all love and heart. Yes, Matt will take your business and your personal life to the next level through word of mouth referrals. But the question is how he learned these skills. And as the seven hatters know so well, learned experience comes about through major pain. Matt took on those challenges and evolved into the man he is today, a work in progress. Behind everything Matt does, there is a core principle of caring, and it shows. So if you're ready to hear an incredible story of overcoming the ups and downs that life throws at us, let's welcome Matt to the Seven Hats. Matt, welcome to the Seven Hats. Oh, thanks for having me. I am honored to be here, and this is going to be a great conversation. I'm ready. I, I agree. Yeah, let's do this. So listen, Matt, I believe referrals, specifically word of mouth referrals, don't get as much attention as other marketing tactics in the lead gen area, especially in growing a business. So much money is spent on ads, different types of campaigns, SEO, you name it. But somehow the subject of referral marketing doesn't get its fair share. Now, why I'm super excited about our conversation is that I have with me one of the preeminent experts in referral and word of mouth marketing and social selling. And I can't wait to dig deeper into this important but overlooked subject. But before we get there, to become an expert in anything, you must go on a journey and experience some pain in the process. So I think it's important 
especially for the seven hatters, to learn a little bit more about who Matt is and what led you to your life's work. So let's start with where were you born and how was your childhood like? Well, I was born in Chevrolet, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. My childhood was a uh, mess, an absolute mess. My dad walked out when I was six. We were living in Idaho. My dad was a wine salesman. He walked out. My mom, single mom of three boys, had to pack up the car and drive east. We ended up living with my grandfather for a while. He was a judge for the Social Security Administration. And uh, I'd like to tell you it was great to live with a judge because they're respectable people of the cloth, uh, but they're very dictator-like. And that was a mess. And then the home I lived in had a revolving door of boyfriends and things like that. And that was a challenge. In 1984, my mom had applied and I was admitted, accepted and admitted to a private boarding school for disadvantaged kids and poverty-stricken kids in Hershey, Pennsylvania, founded by the guy that created the chocolate bar, Milton Hershey himself, because he and his wife couldn't have kids. So in 1909, he put his entire fortune into a trust fund to benefit orphan kids. And uh, there are 2,500 kids that go to this school in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's called the Melton Hershey School. The idea is that it gives them a chance at life. And I will tell you, as I sit here today, it gave me not just a chance at life, it gave me a life. I'm the youngest of three boys, the first to graduate high school, and the only one not to go to prison. That school changed my life. Wow. So two other boys went to prison? Wow. Yeah. The challenges didn't cease there. You know, living in a, in a home with 16 other boys, you had to fight and fend for yourself. You had to learn to adapt. And that is the skill set that I believe that I have most is how to figure things out. If you told me that that house on the corner was for not for sale, but it was a great deal, I would probably figure out how to do that. If you told me that house was for sale, it was a great deal, and I didn't have the money, I could probably go figure out how to do that. So I can figure out a lot of things very quickly. But that doesn't mean I don't lack skills in other areas. I can't complete a project. I'm a great idea guy. I can amass a team. I can lead a team. I did that for 16 years with a digital marketing agency. I can create a vision. I can execute on it. But I can't finish the details. That's a, a true struggle for me. Um, so I surround myself with great people who can. And that's what I continue to do. And, and so my childhood, as I've discovered, in 2020 and 2021, when I did a lot of self-work, was very traumatic and had a very huge impact on how I deal with people now. I teach people how to build relationships. That's, I'm an expert in that, in business, and I can't keep a personal relationship alive. So I know you, know, you talk about things like the things that suffer in a business. When I had my digital marketing agency, I ran that from 2002 to 2018. And uh, I lost my marriage in that. That was tough. Did you lose your marriage because you didn't have her support or because you worked so hard and so much that you didn't yeah. pay attention to that relationship? It was the latter and vice versa. She was senior management at Comcast. We didn't have any kids. She was senior management at Comcast. We were focused on work. We were focused on material things. We were focused on traveling as a material thing, 
as a keeping up with the Joneses thing. It wasn't travel to enjoy travel. Now I travel because mm-hmm. I enjoy travel. Now I don't travel on the dime of chase. I don't charge travel to a credit card and pay it off at 20% interest rates. I don't do that now, but yeah. I did that then. Part of growing up, even in the school, is we were never taught financial literacy. My mom fought bankruptcy five times in her lifetime. How do you file bankruptcy five times? How does anyone let you file that? So there was no structure there to teach me anything about that. And up until I was 40 years old, my financial house was a mess. Are you still in touch with your mom? Um, we didn't have an issue to reconcile. We, we were always talking. Mm-hmm. You know, our family talks at a much different level than maybe other families do. So for instance, Thanksgiving, 90 minutes at the table. That's about it. Yeah. Usually go to a restaurant mm-hmm. because they have to turn the table in 90 minutes. I don't do well with negative people. It tends to be what runs in my family. And I kind of broke the mold of that. I, I still have my days. Mm-hmm where I have challenges and difficulties and just try to push through. Usually I pull out of that because I've surrounded myself with so many great people that I've supported over the years that they see me fall into a funk and then they pull me out. They support me. They call, they text. They're like, are you okay? Things like that. They check in on their business friends who become friends. We all have those days, but I don't hang around people that are notoriously negative. So it seems like you're, family didn't really expect much of you while growing up. Now that they're seeing this success, right? This ownership of greatness, what are they saying? Are they shocked? Are they, what's their response? I think one of the, I think they don't know how to express it, which is why I don't know how Mm. to express emotion myself because I was never taught how to express those things. And so they, you know, my uncle recently told me how proud it, he was of me. Well, that's great to hear, but maybe I'm 48. Maybe that's 47 years too late. Shouldn't we be proud of people all the time? I, I don't know. I, and so I just don't get caught up in it a little bit. I mean, it kind of like the last minute Charlie's hopping in, maybe before they die or before I die and trying, trying to make peace with it. And so fine, I listen to it and I engage with it, but I don't put a lot of weight on it, you know? And I, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I fell into this thing as a part-time business. I had no idea what I was doing. I often still wonder if I still know what I'm doing. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, me too. (laughs) Did you start at corporate and then moved over? Yeah. Um, So long story short, uh, after graduation, I went to DC, hit the job market. I did one semester of college. Wasn't for me. I was in a hotel restaurant management and I failed broccoli and cheese sauce class. And I'm like, this is not going to (laughs) work. That's a hard class. I mean, you know, <laughs> still hard today. I don't cook. Hence my size. Um, so I was living in DC. I was working. I met my ex-wife online on AOL chat and we had a long distance relationship for nine months. And then I sold my car on the street of Washington, DC for $50 on Labor Day of 1997. And I relocated to Massachusetts. I started over. I got a job in a mailroom, working second shift. I worked my way up into their computer IT department. Got another job in New Hampshire. Got through two rounds of layoffs and then got laid off in the third round. At that job, I was testing secure and encrypted email and desktop faxing solutions for a company. When I got laid off the third round, I got picked up as a contractor for the search engine Lycos.com in Waltham, Massachusetts. Worked there for a little over a year and then chose not to renew my contract and went off on my own. 
And uh, that was in 2005 that I went full-time, but I had had the business since 2002 part-time. And I came into the business because I was a volunteer for a Pop Warner football team. I was on the board and I said, we should get one of these new things called a website. And they're like, great idea, go do it. And I was like, uh, now what? So I rallied some friends. The friends did it for me. I effectively outsourced my first non-paying job. And then my first paid job was for 500 bucks to a competing football team. And I went and got a template that looked like they, they were green and white. This, this the Neshoba Pop Warner was green and white. They were the Chiefs, Neshoba Chiefs. And uh, I, I bought a golf template, website template, these things that you could just, you know, kind of pre-done. And I took the golf ball logo out and put their logo in and gave it to them. And it was $500. I'm like, there you go. It made some money. And then I built a business around this whole thing. Started really digging in, reading business books, really trying to grow, got involved in networking. And that's where I met all the people I was meeting and where things really started taking off. And then I just committed to growing the business versus doing any kind of code. I was a self-taught coder anyway, and I was not a designer. You did not want me designing a website. That's what happened. And I ended up adding people and a team and building a team and building a sustainable business. And then, yeah, and then we were just two ships passing in the night. So that relationship failed. Ended up in another one, and that lasted 11 years and spiraled out of control at the end. So, you know, these are... The first relationship was the marriage or the second relationship was the marriage? Yeah, yeah, the first one. First one. So that ended right before you sold or after you sold? No, no, no. That, was, that ended in 2010. That was quite a while. I sold in 2018. But, you know, 2008, right, we had the... The crash of 2008, which was super bad, we managed to get through it in the, uh, in the web business, pushed through, eked through, changed the branding on the company, remodeled some things as far as like the packages we were doing. At the time, we were chasing these big websites, $10,000. We were outside of Boston. They were tough to get. And you were fighting tooth and nail for every sale. And so then I transitioned the business into a recurring revenue model. And that was a game changer for me. So then just grew it. Yeah in the recurring revenue every month. When I sold it, 70% of that revenue was recurring every month. That's great. Well, that's, that's an incredible success. So your, your childhood, how you grew up, obviously gave you this need to help others because there was a void probably that was missing within you. So you needed to extend that out to really feel whole, right? And I think that's, a marking of a tremendous coach, mentor, teacher. You know, I think that's that's incredible. And and the thing about the Milton Hershey School, what a wonderful gift Hershey created for the world. I interviewed Don Larson from Sunshine Nuts, previous interview of mine, and he worked at Hershey for the reason of the Hershey School. So mm-hmm. it's 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 an incredible incredible gift when somebody can create from nothing something that helps so many others. So all right, let's get let's get into some of your lessons learned. So when you sold your agency, you obviously had some time to reflect on on those lessons. What are some of the key takeaways that shaped who you are as an entrepreneur? Can you recall some of the more difficult challenges that you had to overcome that taught you the most about yourself as a person? And also, what would you do differently? with 2020 hindsight? I think that one of the biggest lessons I learned as an entrepreneur with that agency was the value of time. That we often 
do things in business that we shouldn't do because we feel like we should do them or because we feel we need to do them. An example, we take a client on for money purposes, not because of the mission or because they're a good fit. The true struggle of entrepreneurship really comes down to money in most cases. What I learned from that is that when you take on clients for the money, when you do anything for the money, it always fails. It just is a matter of time. If it doesn't fail, everyone else sees you're taking it for the money and they see the greed in that and no one likes that. They just don't express that. What I learned was that, and I remember telling somebody this when they said to me about when they learned about how I live my life now, I live my life by the definition of freedom, which Mm. I define as doing what I want, when I want, how I want, and where I want. And when we were talking about this over a Facebook messenger thread to this person, she said, I really want to get to the point where you're at. And I said, freedom is a distinct choice to not allow people to steal your time. It's just that simple. It's a simple concept, but super hard to execute on. It's a distinct choice to not allow people to steal your time. Entrepreneurs have such a hard time with this because unless you schedule your calendar first, everybody will schedule your calendar on your Mm -hmm. behalf. Mm -hmm. And they'll do it every single day, bar none, full stop. There's never a day when my schedule is empty that it's actually empty. It's got other people's agendas on it and never mine. So when I schedule on a Sunday night, I'm two weeks ahead. I know exactly what I want to do. And like you, these were tough lessons to learn, but I'm Mm. proud of you. That's awesome. That's not not an easy thing to to learn. One of the things I, I think that people can really perhaps get out of this that could affect their business in a positive way is if you really want Fridays off or whatever it is, that's what I recommend people start with a sort of Friday afternoons because that's just inherent in their brain. That you begin, you you place a calendar appointment in your calendar from 12 to 5 or 12 to 6 and you make it recurring. And after six weeks of doing that, you then expand that to the full Friday. And after six weeks of doing that, you then add Monday, Monday afternoons, and then Monday mornings. That's how I got to working three days a week, no, nothing after 1 p.m. Yeah. So I work, I I shouldn't say I work. You can schedule in my calendar Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday up to 1 p.m. Eastern time. Now, anything outside of that is a distinct choice for me to work. Yep. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not working. It just means I'm not doing Zoom calls because one of the things that happened to me was I left the, the web business. I didn't, I, I didn't want to be, I wanted to be on stage. And in 2019, I did 35 speaking gigs all over the country, but then COVID hit and I ended up relegated behind a Zoom screen again. Wow. And I just started, I started coaching people and I'm like, I hate this. I hate it. But what was it? I hated it. I love the impact. I love the ideas. I love the stories the clients are telling me. I love the movement they were getting, but I absolutely despised the screen. And that's what, that's what happened was one day. I looked at my calendar and I realized that the thing that was causing me the most anxiety was actually my own calendar. Mm. And I am, I give up money to gain space in my calendar. Cause I could book a lot more calls and charge a lot more people. That's not of interest. This de-stressing of 
of what that other business cost me before and making payroll every two weeks and the money movement and borrowing money and keeping things afloat. That was stressful, really stressful. And I'm glad somebody asked me recently, are you happy you sold your agency? And I said, yeah, first of all, they made more money every year since I sold it. I'm happy for them. That's amazing. And number two, would you want it back? No, I'm all set. I don't want it back. I don't want to do that again. As we speak, Ukraine is, you know, at war with Russia. And the word that comes to mind again is freedom. Fighting for your freedom to be able to make choices that you need to make in order to succeed in life and to have a, an incredible life, right? It's a journey. We're here on a spinning ball in space. Every day, billions of things are trying to kill us. You know, we're just doing our best. And I think if we blink, we'll be 90. And that's, that's the scary part because I think the seven hats is all about working on your life now. Don't wait until some point in the future where you think that happiness resides there. Happiness, peace, tranquility, freedom resides here now. And you should have goals, but now is the time. So thank you for that reminder. And I think the seven hatters should heed that warning because it comes from experience and a lot of pain. So let's get to the next chapter of your life. So you became a speaker and an author. Congratulations. I know how hard it is to write a book because I haven't written one, <laughs> but and not just one, you wrote a number of books, specifically yeah. in your book title, The High Five Effect. You speak to one of my favorite models, uh, the Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Can you give us your rendition of this model as it relates to clients' needs, because we care about clients, or as you call it, the client acquisition hierarchy of needs? Love to hear a little yeah. bit about that. Look at you. you, you like, so Maslow's hierarchy of needs is something that I never really studied. And as I wrote the book, I started getting into what were the true challenges of the problem. And I touched briefly on this just a couple of minutes ago about this idea of taking on these clients. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have that psychological needs. Now, if you're watching a video, I'm actually looking at Maslow's because I, I haven't studied Maslow's stuff. It's psychological, then safety, then social, then self-esteem, then self-actualization. And so in the book, I put all that, I put that model in there to compare my version of the model with that. And in the client acquisition hierarchy needs, we, we start at survival, which is that base level, the thing we need most. And then we go to security, discovery, respect, and joy. When we think about survival, the reason we take on these clients is because we have to survive. We have to pay our bills. But what ultimately happens is as we start to emerge from that survival band on the, on the client acquisition hierarchy needs and move into security, we're not developing security for ourselves. We're feeling more confident in who we are. In order to really make that switch, you need a predictable amount of revenue coming in every month. And the minute you do that, however that happens, you will start to be willing to push away and turn away business. And that is really where this thing starts to steamroll. Moving from security up to discovery is really about who you are as a person and who your business is going to be furthermore. And once you move from discovery to respect, respect is about respecting yourself, respecting your time, and gaining the respect of your community, both your physical community, but also the industry that you're in. So once you gain awards, for example, you start to have more confidence. When you have more confidence, you start to respect yourself more. And what happens when you respect yourself more? You charge more. 
you charge actually no. the rate you should have been charging when you were back in security mode, you know, in uh, survival mode. And because most businesses aren't charging enough early on because we're desperate. We're trying to get that stuff. Then when you get to joy, now it's a part. Now, when you're at that peak of that, now you're re- it's just really about that Zen space of being in a place where you have a business that you control does not control you. And this is the biggest challenge with small business, I believe. And the reason I wrote the whole book in the first place and what happened in my old business was the business had a hold on me. You see, we start a business, business owners start a business because they want three things, more money, more time, and more freedom. And they don't get any of those three things in the first five years because they spend all this time trying to find money that doesn't exist. And that sucks away all that freedom. And so what we try to do now is try to get people to understand, look, in what way can you create enough revenue that allows you to make the more difficult decisions and take control of your business? One thing that I think has happened a lot in this world that we live in is this side hustle movement, so to speak. And sometimes I think that the side hustle movement is looked down upon. But in reality, it's actually a pretty good model when you think about it. It's actually how I started my business years ago before it was even a popular term. When you have this part-time business above and beyond the full-time work that you're doing, you can be choosy on your clients because you already have the income coming in from the full-time job. What happens though is that people don't get choosy early on when they have that side hustle because They get desperate. They want the money. They want the momentum. And they, they don't want to be patient and wait for it all to work. They want to jump out of the full-time gig, get to the, the part-time gig, into a full-time role as quickly as they can. And so they make mistakes by bringing on these clients that should have never been with them in the first place. And that, that's a struggle. As so many things I wrote about and so many stories of small business ownership that I wrote about in the book of people just picking the wrong clients. And yet they knew it. And still yeah. chose to go with it. They saw all the red flags. I just firmly believe I'm completely okay if you do all of those things. Like if you see the red flag and choose the client, I- I'm okay with you doing that as long as you saw the red flag and had a conscious choice to do so. I'm okay with you working seven days a week, 12 hours a day, as long as that's a choice that you're making. But I think what happens in small business too often, and I think the seven hatters know this, is that it's not a conscious choice. And what's happening is this business is controlling us. That's the issue. So you work with many entrepreneurs and small businesses. What percent do you feel are actually in survival mode versus self-actualized? So I would say very few people that I work with are in joy or in self-actualization, joy mode. Very few. I don't even think I've met one yet. Because almost all the time they say, I want what you have. And I'm like, okay, I'll show you how to do that. But they often don't come, they don't come to me if they're at that top. Almost, I would say, 80, 90% of the people are in survival mode or slightly in security mode where mm-hmm. they've got some revenue and they're almost there. And now it's just about tweaking a couple things, adding a couple services or taking away some or sometimes what one of the first things we'll do is fire a client because they're consuming too much of their time. So most of the people I start to work with are at the very bottom of the pyramid in that survival and security mode. We're all told, and we kind of know what to do in life, right? Eat well, take your vitamins, work out, do your meditations, you know, all the things. 
but so few of us do what they know to do. Is that kind of what you're seeing from entrepreneurs as well? Is like they know they need to be focused. They know they need to schedule their calendar ahead of time. They know they need to work with the right clients. They know they need to raise pricing accordingly to their values system. They know they need to spend time with their family or take care of the other seven hats. How much is that from a mindset of, yeah, I know it, but I'm just so fucking stubborn that I'm going to do what I'm doing just because that's the easy route? I would say that there's a certain percentage that know it. And there's quite a few, a larger double digit 30% that don't know it. They came out of a job, a corporate world. They didn't have to do payroll. They didn't have to ever Mm -hmm. issue an invoice. Are you kidding me? What's it? How do I issue an invoice? (laughs) How do I fill out an RFP? What is that? No concept to any of that stuff. So I, I literally have people, even though I coach people based on referrals and relationship stuff, I have to sometimes move big boulders out of the way so that it frees up time. They allow them to build the relationships. And those big boulders are sometimes these other things. And so there are many people that when I say, hey, did you, get, did you do five reach outs today to just anybody? Did you just contact any five people? I'm like, no. And I'm like, are you going to start doing that? Yeah, I know I need to do that. So it becomes an accountability piece for them to a degree. Then there's people where I say, hey, did you do the five reach out? And they're like, no, I struggled with that. And I'll say, why did you struggle with it? Well, to be honest with you, Matt, I, I don't know who to contact. So I say, okay, well, here's three options. Go to Facebook. If they liked your post, contact them. If they liked your post on LinkedIn, contact them. Send them a LinkedIn message. Just say, hey, thanks for contact. How are you? Thanks for liking my post. How are you? And the third is your email inbox. Somebody sent you an email, just reply to it. That's contacting them. Oh, it's that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. So sometimes things are so simple that we just are overthinking them. Well, I'm going to be a little transparent here, a little vulnerable here, because it has to do with with listening in a sense, which is kind of similar to what we were just talking about. It's a it's a good segue mm-hmm. into it. So listening for me has always been a challenge. You know, personally, it's a lifelong journey, and I think. You know, for many years, I was hearing what other people would say, you know, do this, do that, take care of your calendar, take care of yourself. But I became more fascinated with the subject and started paying attention to the way that I listen, you know, a few years ago. You know, I quickly, Matt, I quickly understood that listening and hearing, they live in two completely different universes. You know, you speak of three levels of listening, which I found fascinating. So I think for the sake of the seven hatters, I'd love for you to speak to that subject a bit and help us understand how to become a better listener. And I'm going to listen intently because I'm probably needing it more than anyone else. So go ahead. I think you nailed it on the head that listening and hearing are two different things. There's active listening and passive listening. There's, there's all kinds of ways this can be described by many, many different people. And I am by no means a listening expert. <laughs> and I struggle with listening myself. In my first book about referrals, I talked about these four pillars that need to exist to actually get referrals in your business. And one of them is listen. And how, how well are we actually listening? I thought you've done a really great job listening to me. You actually heard me talk about Hershey School, and then you connected that to an individual that you had previously interviewed who had worked at Hershey because of the school. So yep. you clearly were listening. What happens a lot of times is we're in a conversation and somebody's just looking for the next opportunity to say what they want to say or ask the right question. And listen, I grew up in a home with 16 boys. 
in a boarding school where I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Try to eat dinner at night. 16 of them plus two house parents and however many kids they got. It was a train wreck. And so I often forget what I'm going to say. And so I blurted out, I am the interrupter. And it's a horrible habit to have. It's very frustrating. People get very frustrated with me. I did a video recently about this on YouTube. People who interrupt aren't doing it on purpose. It's a natural reaction. They're really excited about the conversation. They don't want to lose the great thought or idea that they had for you. And so they interrupt. To be a better listener, there's a really good basic little game you can play, which is where you ask someone a question and then you wait for their answer. And then the next thing out of your mouth must be a question about their answer. But let's play. Let's play. You great, play? How's let's the play. weather where you are today? Weather was great. How's the weather where you are? Pretty good. Now, so this is a game. Okay, so this is a really good game. So one of the things I do in a workshop is you pair people up and then you both have to ask questions. But if you're in a uh -huh. networking event, if you're at a conference and you ask somebody, how's business? And they answer, business is fantastic. What's your next question going to be? Tell me about a project you recently did. Get them talking about them, their business so that you can get some detailed information. Yeah, because people like to talk about themselves. That's why you have a podcast. People love to talk about themselves. So you ask a question. You did it great today, though. You have follow-up questions about the, the answers I'm giving you. That's, that's exactly what listening really is. It's I'll tell you this, though. I'm, I'm an interrupter as well. But when, before I started the podcast, I did a lot of research because God knows who the hell needs another podcast, right? <laughs> so we needed to be a little bit different. And I started reading some of the reviews out there from other podcasts. The recurring theme was stop fucking interrupting. Stop interrupting. We want to hear what the guest has to say. Stop interrupting. And the second was stop giving me all this bullshit advertising. But anyway, the first one was yeah. really about interruption. So I said, what can I do not to interrupt? Because my nature is to jump in just like you, because I want to add to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I think I have all the answers in the world and everybody finds me the most amusing around not my guest, right? So in that sense, why wouldn't I interrupt? But I will say, here's my little tip for all those that want to not interrupt as much. I bite my lip. When someone's speaking, I have mm -hmm. my teeth grasping my lip. And when I want to say something, I bite on, bite on it. Not too hard, a little bit. Because I know that's my indicator to not interrupt. And you know what? So far, I've been pretty good on my podcast. In real life, I can't say that I'm as good. But on my <laughs> podcast, I try. Do you know how many people are biting the corner of their lip right now? <laughs> I love it. Because I did that's that. They While you were describing it, I <laughs> yeah. started testing that out to see. It's not going to work for me you, because it'll probably damage my pretty lips or something. It'll probably damage it. So just sit on if your, you don't want to bite your lip, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. If you don't want to bite your lip, folks, just take your index finger, press it against the yeah. desk or the table or your knee or something like that. So that yeah. you're actively doing something to release that energy that will yeah. release that interruption action and then try to refocus on what the person is saying. That's the most important thing is that you asked a question and I'm talking to the listeners now, you asked a question of another person, you should expect to hear their answer fully. Now, if they're a 20 minute answer person, that's a different story. <laughs> We've got those people too. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's these little tips. I, I used to be a, um, uh, you know, all these filler words and I put a rubber band on my wrist and every time I said, um, or like, I literally snapped it. And after about six months, I pretty much stopped saying, um, and like, so there is, mm-hmm. there is something to these little tricks, you know, especially for speakers. All right, let's, we can go on and on. Let, let's, let's continue because I got some interesting things to ask of you. So you okay. say that every three, this is, this is brilliant. This is just so funny. You say that for every three people networking in business today, two of them are doing it wrong. And if you don't know who the other two are, then you're one of them. Just love that. So let's start with what is networking and then follow yeah. up with talking about your take on networking effectiveness. Cause okay. I mean, that's basically how you made your living. So, right. So networking, what is it? It is generally, I'm sometimes paid, certainly paid. There's probably half the events you go to are paid and half are free. You show up, you introduce yourself to other people and you have conversations. And the idea is that you're in a place of like-minded individuals who want to get additional reach for their business by sharing what their business is all about with other people. Now, where it's done wrong is when you show up and just hand out your business card within 10 seconds of meeting me. Because I assure you that business card is going in the trash. I have no interest in that. In fact, I refer to it over the years as as, uh, the human Pez dispenser. I'm not interested in your business cards. I'm not collecting business cards. That's not what I want. I want to have quality conversation. So if you're trying to sell me, if you're a realtor and you're trying to list my house, get out. Not interested. Not going to talk to you. You want my business and yet you've just met me. That's never going to happen. We do business with people we know, like, trust, and care about. Not just know, like, and trust, but know, like, trust, and care about. And I'm not listing my house with you if I don't know, like, trust, and care about you. I'm just not. So that's step number one. Uh, Things that people do wrong. They don't take interest in me and the other person and the other party. They're just trying to sell me something. That's the biggest thing. Second thing, they try and hack the system and do it quickly. Hmm. Trust can't be built overnight. It takes a long time. Third, follow-up. You know how many times I've somebody's asked me for my card, I give it to them, and then they never get in touch again? You know how many times I say to people, oh, you want some, I don't know, free advice on networking? Just give me a call. We'll book a time. I'm happy to share with you. No big deal. Never book a call. I go to a networking group. I say, if you're in this, ne- if I'm speaking to this networking group and you are here today, you get a free half hour of time with me to talk about anything related to networking and referrals. People don't take advantage of it. And I'm not selling anything. What do I, I mean, I have coaching to sell, but I don't, that's not me. And they know that by the time I leave the room. So it's not like it's a sales pitch. So that's the thing that we despise. See, as humans, we love to buy, but we absolutely we despise being sold to. It's why we hang up on the spam callers. It's why we hate the junk mail. It's why we hate the stuff in our mailbox that doesn't pertain to us. We hate it. But yeah, we love to buy. And that's why we have Amazon with free shipping and all this other stuff, right? So I, I, I think that networking is being done wrong when you are aggressive and salesy. And if you don't know who the other two people are in the room, then mm, you might be that person. <laughs> and then there's the whole... Pitch slap on LinkedIn. That's when they send the connection request. 
You accept oh, it and boom, right in your inbox. Hey. Oh, by the way, you know what I love best about this one is, have you ever thought about writing a book? Bro, I wrote two. Do you not see the headline banner on my LinkedIn that has my book in it? What? Your bot is bad, dude. Your bot is bad. You should fire your bot. I, I usually reply with things like, oh, don't do this. This is gross. You know, things like that. Um, like, do you know who you're talking to? Like, I'm the referral guy. What? And then I, I also very much preach that you should never ask for referrals. I, I believe in it. I do not believe in that. And I can't tell you how many people who have connected with me when I send a, a, a check in. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. You know, I love what I do. If you know anybody, send them my way. Ugh, that's gross. You know, I'm a big LinkedIn Ugh. guy and I cannot tell you. I mean, I, we can probably have a full show on LinkedIn etiquette and the, the atrocity of the messages that I get from people who have no clue who I am, never did research. Some of them are like, hey, do you want to start a podcast? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just insane. But you know what? I got to mention this because I thought this was really funny. So this is really, this is an influencer that I follow on LinkedIn. He's a coach, sales coach, really, really amazing guy every day. And he has courses on how to succeed on LinkedIn and how to sell and things of that nature. And he came out on this whole Ukraine deal and, and said, hey, we're supporting Ukraine and, and whatever. And somebody wrote to him and said, oh, what are you going to do now? Are you going to create a course on how to help Ukraine and send money to charities and stuff like that? And the guy, I mean, what? A, I mean, this is an, an incredible response. He said, calm down and chill out. The next time that you get fired from your job and you ask me for assistance, I probably will say no and posted the, the message that he sent him a while back talking about how he lost his job and how he needs his help and all of that stuff. I was like, that is so fucking classic. That was incredible. Anyway, I just, that was, that's so good. That is, isn't it great how it was okay to send him a message when he needed help, yeah. when the guy lost his job, yeah. but then he wants to go gaslight yeah. him on a post yeah. and troll him. Yeah. 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 Not cool. Anyway, let's talk about greatness. Yeah. How about we talk about Maya Angelou? Yeah. Maya Angelou was famously quoted when she said, people don't remember what you said to them, but they will remember how you made them feel. You know, we live in such a fast-paced world, you know, filled with so much noise. You know that. How do we slow down and actually connect with our prospects and clients and kind of cut through that social media noise? It's just what we were speaking about, right? So much going in yeah. your mailbox, so much to do. How do we stand out and stay top of mind for our referrals? You know, there's a number of ways. One of the best ways is just a handwritten card. It's just old school. Ooh, you got to go from the inbox to the mailbox and just yeah. pay attention to people. Another one is another great one. Call somebody on the phone. Hey, Yuval, how you doing? Uh, I was just thinking about you today. It makes you feel special. Yeah. And I don't want anything. I was just saying, I'm just saying, what do you want? Uh, nothing. Just saying hi. Yeah. So if... Here's my philosophy of this. Uh, let me just ask you a quick question first of all. How do you outrun a bear? <laughs> you just have somebody slower than you behind you. Exactly. You don't outrun a bear. You outrun your friend. Yep. Which is why everybody should want to go camping with me. I'm a big, fat, slow runner. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. 
in business, how do you outrun the bear? You don't. You outrun your competition. And what that means is yep. all you have to do is stay in touch with your contact a little bit quicker and a little bit more often than your competitor. That's all it yeah. is. So if you're a realtor and you want referrals from a mortgage professional, you just have to touch that mortgage professional more efficiently, more effectively, and more often than the other realtors. That's it. It's as basic as that. The catch is how do you do it? How do you manage it? How do you put it into some system? And then to your point is how do you slow down? How do you not try to do 200 of these? I just tell my clients, do five a day. Do five reach outs a day. Use your CRM to remind you who to reach out to and do five reach outs a day. That's it. Yeah, you don't need, you don't need Salesforce. God knows you don't no. need Salesforce. No, I mean, I use HubSpot, <laughs> I, but I use the free version. And it yeah. tracks your emails inbound and outs. You can set up tasks and reminders. That's all you really need to be effective yeah. at that. And even if you don't want to yeah, do that, then go HubSpot old school, too. pen and paper. I have one guy that uses an index yeah. card. Write your name on an index card, puts you in the back of the pile, works through the pile. When he gets to your name again, he contacts you. <laughs> Love that. Back of the pile. And then when he goes to the networking group, he makes new index cards for the people in the networking group. And Bob Jones, Sally, Jane Doe, John Doe, and he puts them in. He saw them that day, so he writes a couple quick notes, and then he puts them in the back of the list, back of the pile. And then he just keeps working it. Isn't it amazing, though? The difference between success or failure success and extraordinary success, they're all minute differences. Like what Elon Musk does or Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs compared to everybody else is really a tiny fraction of a few steps that they take that they know gets them to success. I always found yeah. that very fascinating because everybody thinks it's this puzzle, you know, this mystery of life. It's really not. Life is not that complicated if you break it down. It's not. Know? No, it's not. It's, it's, it's what I tell people. It's simple, but not easy. Yeah. It's simple, but not. You know, and regarding Steve Jobs, I'll tell you what, I, I, I've been trying to do what Steve Jobs has done for years. I cannot find those black turtlenecks <laughs> in my size at all. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe my mom can sew one for you. She might be able to. She used to sew. I'll ask her. Let me tell you real quick about um, Shannon the Cannon Hudson. Okay. Shannon the Cannon Hudson owns Nine Round Fitness Franchise, which is like Curves okay. for Women. And years ago, yeah. I had a podcast called the Square Peg Round Hole Podcast. Me and my buddy Dan were hosting it. We were just doing it for fun. No idea what we were doing with podcasts. Our first foray into it. And we interviewed Shannon in episode five. And it, we were interviewing on Skype at the time. So we, there was no video. We were just doing audio. And he was like, fitness, fitness, fitness. And I finally stopped him two minutes. And I said, Shannon, I, I realize you've said fitness like 12 times in two minutes. Like, I get it. You own a boxing fitness franchise. I get it. But we're on an audio call here and you can't hear me. I mean, you can hear me, but you can't see me. I'm a pretty big dude. Fitness doesn't really fit my vocabulary, <laughs> except in one way. I'm fitness whole pizza in my mouth. <laughs> so we had, we had a really good laugh. And when that podcast dropped, I called Domino's in Greenville, South Carolina, and I ordered a pepperoni pizza to be delivered to his headquarters. And inside the cover, nice. I had them write, thanks for coming on the podcast. I hope you fitness pizza in your mouth. 
I love it. And they delivered it. And I tell that story on stage and it's just about surprise. It's about, it's about a memorable thing. Shannon and I have never done business. We've never, ever talked. In fact, I don't even know if you ever got the pizza, but it doesn't matter. Cause man, I got a hell of a keynote story on stage now. It came out of it. Cause I, the girl who, who prepped the pizza, she took a picture on her cell phone and texted me the picture of it. I show it on stage now. And it's little things like that. You got to let me know next time you're speaking on stage. Cause I, I, because, cause I got to go. I, you, you, you're hilarious. All right. Uh, yeah. before we close, I got one more question. I mean, it's okay. crazy. I'm enjoying this so much. All right. Eric Slavitsky said the following, when your heart and your mind get into a tug of war, let your gut settle it. Now there's so much debate among entrepreneurs regarding following your gut. I know I've been through this with my partner and specifically intuition, right? And you write in your book, a specific topic, actually, you place in your book in regards to that. What's your take on gut feel versus experience? And how do you settle the, the debate between heart and mind? So Eric was somebody I interviewed for the book. And Eric is a business coach. And uh, he, he said that. And I was like, that is profound. And then when I interviewed all the other people, I started telling them that quote. And I said, does this resonate with you? And they're like, absolutely. Here's the problem. In practicality, we're not doing it early on. We're not, you're just not trusting your gut because there's no business class in business school at the Eisenberg School of Management, UMass, that is gut trusting 101. And whether it's experience in business or you build up that gut muscle. It allows you to feel confidence in what the decision you're about to make is. You'll still have some concern, but your gut's telling you something for some reason. I can't speak to why it's telling you that, but it is. And the more you trust your gut in business, full disclosure, I'm not paying your lawyer fees. The more you trust your gut in business, the more success you're going to have. Now, if you go to the poker table and trust your gut and bet it all on black and it comes up red. Don't call us. That's not what I'm talking about. No. I'm talking about running a business. You have, you have an instinct inside of that gut that you've got to trust. And that is going to be the game changer. That's going to be the small pieces, the small minute changes that you've always talking about earlier that make the difference between failure, success, and extreme success. That's the difference between Elon Musk and Richard Branson. Yep. Jeff Bezos. That's the difference. They're trusting their gut. They're yeah. going with it. They're, they're rolling the dice on their business and they're trusting their decisions. And they deal with the things that, that happen when they fail. But he, here's one of the bigger things about this is trust your gut, but make the decision quickly because you need to leave yourself enough time to pivot if it was the wrong decision. That's the issue. I love that. I make that decision quickly. And more than anything, I, now scientific research and experiments are actually speaking about your gut being your second brain. And there are some people that actually say it's your main brain, your predominant brain, because that's where the biome, the gut biome resides and the whole thing. And that's why it's super important how you eat and all that, that good stuff. But yeah, totally agreed with that. And I think that's a great topic anyway for another conversation in another episode, but Matt, 
You're incredible. I close out my interviews with the following question. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? In full disclosure, I needed to stop being a fraud and start being a man. Men have emotions too. And we don't always express them in the ways that we should. And once you start tapping into your soul, you'll start to really change where your life will go. Stop being, you know, it's really about being responsible for all of our actions. Things we say, the things we do, the things we don't say, and the things we don't do. I'm still a work in progress to this day. 2021 was, uh, business-wise, probably one of my greatest years ever. Not financially, but just, and not even stability-wise, but just with the outlook of where I was going with freedom and those things. But personally, it was one, was one of the most miserable years of my life. And I'm continuing to rebound from that. COVID had a great deal of impact on people. And relationships as a whole have changed because of it. You spent more time with people that you never spent time with before. Both at home and even at work, perhaps in, in, in Zoom rooms or wherever you might be. I mean, I've met some of my close friends on Zoom in 2020. And we're close friends now. I think the more business owners can start to really express their feelings to other business owners, the better off we'll all be. I understand that we can't always express our feelings to people that don't quite understand what we're going through or to our significant others or spouses or employees. But when you start getting into these peer groups and building friendships and relationships that last a lifetime, masterminds, whatever you want to call them, they become a resource for you. Somebody to call in the middle of the night when you're struggling both personally and professionally, struggling with that decision of where to take your company. You'll have people that are by your side. You'll have people that are checking. I'm sure today, Yuval, I've received five text messages while I'm recording this podcast because today was a tough day for me, but I'm a man of my word and I'm here. And uh, you just got to be vulnerable and be present for everybody. And your life will be better because of it. Vulnerability is strength. And I learned that the hard way. And I know it took 47 years for your family member to say they're proud of you. I just met you. I'm proud of you. The seven hatters just met you. They're proud of you. Where could they find you? Uh, they can find me over at mattwardspeaks.com and mattwardspeaks on any platform and uh i'm over on youtube and if they watch any of my youtube channels they hear me say it every single time and i'm proud to say it to you you all don't forget to live happy smile a lot and high five everyone around you matt i'm sure the seven hatters are going to reach out and i'm telling you this will be a lifelong connection as well I'm honored that, you're, that you've made the time, especially on a difficult day, to not cancel and honor us on the seven hats. And I look forward to more with you in the future. So thank you, Matt. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matt. Let's end today with a segment of the show that I refer to as, what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. 
I've been studying the most successful people this world has produced for many years now. The truth is, the uber-successful are just flesh and blood, just like you and I. They are not born with magic powers, but they know and practice what we mere mortals don't. They work on the smallest of things that make the biggest impact, the little hinges that swing the big doors. And that's the difference that helps them attain godlike status among us. Matt said it best, it's simple, but not easy. One skill that successful people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Michael Jordan have in their arsenal is that they just trust their gut. At times, they rule out logic and reason for intuition, and it pays off. Sometimes, they bet the farm on gut feel, and they do it, as Eric Levitsky said, when your heart and mind get into a tug of war, let your gut settle it. Matt was right when he told us that we have an instinct inside our gut that we've got to trust, and that will be the game changer. That's going to be the small pieces, the small minute changes that make the difference between failure, success, and extreme success. I want to thank Matt once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you received from it so that we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.